While there is an element of this that ties with Luke 17, the parable is unique to the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 18, in verses 21 and 22, Peter asks a question. If you haven't noticed it, Peter's been mentioned every chapter since 14 is doing something separate from the rest. And in verse 21, Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him one hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe. So the fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from their heart. The placement of this comes after Jesus' statement about if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, he leaves the 99 behind and goes and searches after the one, lost one that comes back. This is a part of God's picture of seeking and restoring the one who has gone astray. It comes right after the statement on discipline and withdrawal. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20 shows what happens if the brother does not repent. 
If he does not repent, it tells us what to do and the steps to take. But if he does repent, in verse 21, this tells us the response that we should take. Its placement after this shows us it's part of seeking the lost. It doesn't mean, as the passages before say, to brush everything under the rug. But it does mean, if someone repents, we forgive them. In Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. I think that it's very possible that that was the background that led Jesus to think that may be the limit of forgiveness. If your brother sins against you seven times a day and seven times comes back acknowledging his wrong, begging forgiveness, it says forgive him. And this may have led Peter to wonder, is that the limit of forgiveness? Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Now, what you may not be aware of is that there were Jewish rabbis that taught that three times may be the limit of forgiveness and their writings have come down to us. Maybe they got that, some have suggested, from Amos 1 and 2 where you see for three transgressions and for four, God is going to bring judgment against particular cities. But in this particular passage, uh, that may be where they got it from. We don't know. But, but Peter's standard, it sees, goes beyond what was not normal in his day. We might criticize it, but Peter is trying to understand this. Jesus said to your brother, sins rebuke him. He repents, forgive him. He sins seven times a day. Forgive him. Is that the limit? And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now some of your translations have 70 times seven. Some of them have 77 times. But it is not talking about 490 as a literal number or 77 as a literal number. It is talking about that true forgiveness does not keep score like that. How many times as someone who has been married a long time From my perspective, some of you may be a shorter time. How many times have you had to forgive your mate? How many times have they had to forgive you? Now, if you know the number, something's wrong. (laughs) 
True forgiveness doesn't keep score. But I want to tell you something I think is going on. Do you remember Lamech? Lamech is the first man in the Bible said to have two wives. Genesis 4 verse 19. Polygamy seems to have started with him. He kills a young man. He states, I killed a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, Lamech is avenged 77-fold or 77 times. The same two words that appeared in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and most of the manuscripts we have, 77, the same two words are used here. The unlimited spirit of revenge that Lamech Lamech displayed is matched by the unlimited forgiveness that Jesus teaches. There's a contrast with Genesis 4. Some Old Testament passages are mentioned as a contrast, not as a comparison. This is a contrast with the evil spirit of Lamech. But, but the Bible tells us that Jesus says you forgive him up to 70 times 7. You forgive him up to 77 times. It is an unlimited spirit of forgiveness. As 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, love does not keep a record of wrongs done. But he says for this reason, he gives a parable to illustrate what he's talking about. And parables are just illustrations in many ways. He says a king wished to settle accounts with his servants, with his slaves. And he finds one who owes his master 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now 10,000 is the largest number in Greek that we have a number four, or that they had a number four. And a talent was the biggest designation of money. I put in quotation marks, it was the largest bill in circulation to convey that particular idea. So he takes their greatest number and he takes their greatest sum and this is how much the servant owed. I don't think we can put a numeric value on this. I I just don't think we can do that. And you see sometimes that attempted to be done, but, but I think this amount is just so enormous, it is just hard for us to get our arms around. But let me illustrate it this way. That apparently it took 6,000 denarii to earn 6,000 denarii for one talent. That would have been the rate of exchange. Matthew 20, a parable Lord willing we'll get to later, but Matthew 20 shows that if you went out and worked a day, the normal wage was a denarius. And there's some other things that indicate that that is true as well. So, So you go out and you work six days a week. You would have to work 6,000 days to earn talent. Now, remember the Sabbath? 
and keep it holy was observed in the land. So the most you could work was six days a week. How long is 1,000? 6,000 days. How long is 6,000 days? 1,000 weeks. 19 to 20 years. It would take 19 to 20 years for an average person to earn the equivalent of one talent. How long to save that? Because that also had to supply your needs. How long? That shows us how incredibly astronomical this debt is. There is no way the average person in life is going to make more than three or four times, much less save that much. And here is one who owes 10,000 an absolutely astronomical amount. He is called before the king. There's a statement in Daniel 5.19 about Nebuchadnezzar. Whomever he wished, he killed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Kings often had power over life and death. And the Bible tells us that he sees his servant who owes this enormous debt. And it is not discussed how he incurred this debt. But he says, sell his wife and children and let repayment be made. You see that, for example, in 2 Kings 4, uh, verse 1, where a person uh, was threatened with being sold and having their children sold in order to pay a debt. He doesn't have the means to repay. He commands that his wife and children be made, be, be, uh, be, be sold and to repay the debt. But the slave fell to the ground. He fell to the ground. He prostrated himself before the king. He gets down and falls before him and says, Have patience. And I will be back. There's no way he could keep that promise. There's no way he could keep that promise. But his Lord, his King, who had power over life and death, felt compassion for him. And do you recognize the king does for him what he did not ask. He didn't ask for his debt to be forgiven. 
He asked that he be given time to pay it all. But the Lord of that slave felt compassion for him and released him and forgave him. He goes far beyond anything that was asked. Kings, as we said, had power over life and death. This king shows his mercy and his compassion. When he says, be patient with me, the term he used was used in the Greek translation of Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord God, gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. That is the term slow to anger that the Greek translation translates with the same word. The point is, this is the character of this king. This is the character of this God. He is patient, not wanting 2 Peter 3, 9, that any perish, but that all come to life. And the Bible calls us to imitate that in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, when it says love is patient. Do you see yourself in this parable? You are here. You are here. You and I are the servant who owed an utterly unpayable debt. Utterly unpayable. And the more we realize that, the better off we will be. In Luke 7, when Jesus goes to eat with Simon the Pharisee, and there is a sinful woman washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And Simon is thinking to himself, if he were a prophet, he would know who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus said, Simon, I, I have something to say to you. A money lender had two debtors. Two debtors. One of them owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when neither were able to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them will love him more? He said, I suppose the one that he forgave the most. He said, that's right. And he illustrated it by contrasting the woman's conduct with Simon's conduct. And he says, she is loved much. In verse 47, for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. For he who is forgiven little loves little. I want to tell you, you and I have not been forgiven a little. I recognize there are people in the world whose list of wrongs 
are greater than probably anyone here today. And there are people in the world who have probably done more scandalous things, more headline shocking things than we have. But no one, no one needs the grace of God more than you and I. Each of us have been forgiven an unpayable debt. And Jesus, through his ministry, demonstrates this same compassion that is mentioned in this text. Matthew 9.36 has used the term before in Matthew. Matthew 15, I believe verse 36. And we're going to find it again in Matthew 20 and verse 34. Now let me make a statement here. You may have thought about this much. You may not have recognized it. Some... Even believers criticize at times this parable because it speaks of God's mercy and God's great compassion, but does not specifically mention the cross. Listen, the whole Bible theology is too big to be packed in one parable. It is this kind of love and compassion that led to the cross without which there is no forgiveness for you and for me. But this beautiful parable of God's unfathomable mercy is about to shift to a parable of judgment. This man who has been forgiven an amazing death. Have you ever had something so great, so amazing, so beautiful happen to you that you find it hard to believe? That's the way it was, no doubt, when he was forgiven that incredible debt. But in verse 28, that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, I have heard people make reference to this as, as pocket changes. This, this is a pocket change. This is carrying around, uh, if it, unless you carry it in your pocket, about a third or a fourth of your year's wages. Um, it's not pocket change. It's a decent amount. A hundred denarii. hundred days' wages. It is a decent amount. But remember, it took 6,000 talents to make up 6,000 denarii to make up one talent. He has been forgiven 
a debt of 10,000 talents and he goes out and finds someone that owes him a relatively small debt in comparison, a hundred denarii. And he, notice, he seizes him, he chokes him. He chokes He chokes and says, pay back what you owe. And his slave, his fellow slave, fell to the ground and began to plead with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. Now, there are several things that tie this with verse 26. First of all, it's a contrast to the debt in verse 24. But compare the words, even some of the things in the text beside the words. In verse, in verse 26, that slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself. In verse 29, the fellow slave fell to the ground. So, so there's similarities there. In verse 26, the servant said, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. In this passage, the servant said, Have patience with me and I will repay you. I will repay you. There's a big difference between verse 26 and verse 29. The man in verse 29 maybe could have kept his promise, likely could have kept his promise. The man in verse, the man in verse 26 could. But notice the contrast of this promise. He was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. The forgiven man forgot how much he'd been forgiven. It's like the man in James 1 who looks in the mirror and he forgets what kind of a man he was. Have you just forgotten how you were in the same situation and you responded with the same words and you were greeted with such mercy and grace from an all-powerful king? But now when you have someone that is begging for mercy in the same words, He's throwing me to prison. How is it that when we have been forgiven so much, we recognize 
how desperate our dilemma, how deep our debt, how unpayable our account. We recognize that and we rejoice in such forgiveness. And we fail to forgive those who said, I'm sorry. I've done wrong. How could it be? In the next verse, the third scene, actually, of this parable, the Bible says his fellow slaves saw what had happened and they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. I ran across this statement. In one of the commentaries I was looking at, or one of the things that I read, it made the statement that regardless of how uncompassionate a person may be in dealing with another, when they see this kind of action in another, they are deeply grieved. And I think there's some truth in that. Though that teaches us To look inwardly. And when his Lord called him, he said, you wicked slave, you evil slave. A failure to forgive is evil and wicked. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? His forgiveness of the debt was described as compassion in verse 27. It is described here as mercy. It is mercy. Mercy, grace, kindness. Love In Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, all those words are used interchangeably. And here, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? A recognition of how much mercy that we have been shown is an encouragement and inspiration to show mercy and compassion to others. But now that Lord who was moved with compassion in verse 27, in verse 34, his Lord moved with anger. The same Lord, the same Lord, the same God who is compassionate and gracious, long-suffering, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sins is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29 And his Lord moved with anger and handed him over to torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. The love of God, the mercy of God, the loving kindness and long-suffering of God 
It is the same God who is a God who is a consuming fire. Both are true of our God. And here he hands this man over. Did you notice the New American Standard Translation? Hands him over to torturers. Now, some of your translations just have the word jailers or something to that effect. This is a word used only here in the New Testament. But Archie France states that if versions have rendered this jailer, they have become squeamish because this word carries with it more the idea of torture. The same one who was forgiven the enormous debt is handed over to torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And he will never get his debt paid. It is a parable of compassion. It is a parable of mercy. And it is a parable of how often those who have been shown mercy are so slow to show it. But a warning that there are horrible consequences between refusal to forgive. One passage I did not put on the slide, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, in verses 14 and 15, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. That is in Luke's statement, in Luke 6, 36 and 37, of judge not that you be not judged. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The Bible says we forgive in Ephesians 4 verses 31 and 32 as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. In James 2 13 judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown mercy. The lesson is obvious. Are we living it? Are we applying it? A moment ago, that your sins are not as many as some in the world. And they're not as scandalous. And I imagine that is true. But I want to tell you, even if your sins 
are as many or are as scandalous. If you are the worst of sinners or cheapest of sinners, see if I can remember that phrase in the New Testament somewhere. There's still forgiveness. There's still forgiveness. There's no way we can repay the debt we owe. Drops of grief can never repay the debt of sin. I am a lie in one of the songs we sing. But if you throw yourself upon his mercy in repentance, if you throw yourself upon his mercy in his grace, and be baptized for the of sin, which is in Titus 3 5, in context, intimately tied. With God's mercy and grace. He will have compassion. And He will forgive all of your debt. The invitation is open to you as we stand and sing. Number one hundred and twenty five.